0: sunday night edition of the Dunk basketball podcast time to get going for real here 15 and 60 i'm no longer muzzled i'm allowed to say whatever i want i don't have to be positive about these teams that of course extremely important to me liam's going to join us here do his what will hopefully become his usual one team danny is here as well we're sponsored today by our good friends at lyft i've been a customer of theirs since 2013 And now you can join the ride sharing company that believes in treating its people better at lyft.com slash capspace where you can get a $500 new driver bonus. And Helix Sleep, helixsleep.com slash capspace is the URL to get the mattress that I sleep on but custom made for you. That helixsleep.com slash capspace URL will get you $50 off your own custom mattress. So for those of you who are new here to the 15 and 60 format, 60 is a total misnomer, except for the fact that it sounds good. Usually ends up being more like 90, but we talk about all 15 teams in the Western Conference. We're going to start with Sacramento. That's Liam's team. And then we'll do the rest of the teams in alphabetical order. We're going to talk to about some stats we're using Former Sixers and Blazers executive Ben Falk's stats now from Cleaning the Glass, he doesn't rely on estimates anymore. He actually uses the play-by-play. I'm a subscriber of his, going to hope to have him on the show later on next month, but his ratings filter out garbage time, and they also actually use the play-by-play to get an exact count of possessions rather than just estimating it. So the numbers might be a little bit different than what you see on NBA.com, but much more accurate. For example, last year's Warriors were horrendous in garbage time. They would play three centers at the same time. They had a ton of games where they were just blowing teams out. So they actually were much better by his numbers during actual competitive gameplay. So, uh, Danny, you want to say hello here before uh, we get started with the King since I've droned on for long enough?
2: I will say hello and I will express my bemused optimism that you said 90 is more accurate for what this podcast is. I am leaning strongly towards 120.
0: (laughs) Well, once we, like, edit and truncate all the silences, it ends up maybe being like an hour 40 usually uh okay so let's sure bring, uh, let's bring in liam here to talk uh, about the sacramento kings uh, where are they after that ugly loss today to washington in which they never led and lost by about 30 points
1: right so today was a pretty ugly game for them so so far they're one in five with a net rating of negative nine which is 27th in the league offensive rating 99.1 also 27th and defensive rating of 108 which is 21st so obviously they struggle on both sides offensively a little bit more so I'll dig into that first their biggest their biggest problem's got to be that they're shooting way too many shots from the mid range over 50% of their field goal attempts are coming from mid-range. That was before today's game, which quick, quick uh, disclaimer, a lot of these stats, uh, they were a lot of them were found before today's game. So some of these may be worse than they would be otherwise. So I just wanted to throw that out there. And so 50% of their shots coming from mid-range before today's game. And they're actually shooting really well at the rim and from three, 69% from the rim, 37% from three. But they're not creating nearly enough shots there to be an efficient offense. And another thing that's holding them back is only 78% of their possessions are coming in the half court. Well, 78% are coming from the half court. So they're not getting out in transition at all and they're not getting really any easy buckets which you would think they might with, you know, a younger roster, a lot of rookies, but that hasn't been the case so far because they've been playing some of their veterans a lot of minutes which hasn't exactly been great. Uh the, the starters for their first 5 games were George Hill, Buddy Heal, Justin Jackson, Zach Randolph and Billy Cauley-Stein, and they really struggled with a negative 18 net rating in 59 minutes and Big problem with that, or oh, big problem with their offense is their wings are just really struggling to create offense. So they've been using a lot of horn sets and trying to get the bigs up top in horn sets so they can run some pin downs, flex cuts, back cuts, anything that they can get those guys a step advantage without having them to create with the ball in their hands because they struggle doing that. So they sixth in percentage of plays that are cuts and sixth in percentage that are off-screen, but those aren't exactly efficient position, possessions for them. Buddy Heald, not shooting great from the mid-range, and Justin Jackson, although he loves those floaters, uh, it's still not a you know high-percentage shot for them.
0: Yeah, it was interesting. If I can can break in there, I mean, this is kind of what we thought they would be, right? Fox easily is their best guy at getting to the basket, and we'll talk more about him later. But they just don't have guys who can create shots and draw the defense. And then also you consider the fact that pretty much at all times they're playing with two traditional bigs together. So a combination of no creators and no space leads to one of the worst offenses in the nba and that means you're taking a lot of tough mid-rangers
1: yeah and especially like their bigs even like taking those shots zach you know Randolph a lot willie cauley signs taking a couple and Scal. that's that's what he lives for shooting those mid-range shots so yeah it's it's uh been a real issue for them that they're gonna have to iron out some of their shot selection if they want to improve and defensively they're allowing the most oppo- the highest percentage of opponent shots from three at 38 and they're allowing 66 field goal percentage at the rim so they're gonna have to tighten up both of those areas if they want to improve there. And I'll, I'll just talk a little bit about um, some of their younger prospects because that's obviously you know the attraction for this team. So De'Aaron Fox so far, S- such yeah. As, it is. Well, as much as you know,
0: <laughs> although Fox is really exciting, I shouldn't I shouldn't degrade him. He he actually has been really really fun to watch. And, and Danny will never accept uh, my saying that Scal isn't exciting to watch. So maybe uh,
2: I I will never accept Fox. that ever.
1: Yeah. Well, <laughs> I I agree with you on Fox, but he's he's right now defenses are going just so far under on the pick, and they're, they're trying to deny on the paint that he's taken so many of his shots from mid-range so 62 percent of his shots are coming from mid-range right now and it, it's looked decent you know from what you thought he would be coming in it actually doesn't look that bad coming out of his hand but he's only 30 percent and obviously you can't live off those but he's just got to hit enough where the defense can respect him but like you said it, he had a couple plays in transition he had an in and out crossover on jj where he just completely shook him and just exploded to the rim and he's just you know really athletic when he gets in those situations 71 percent at the rim so far yeah. so yeah like like you were saying you want to say something on that
0: Yeah, well, I think he just, he's one of these guys, and this is the case for a lot of rookies and and a lot of players, is just, wow, look at these flashes, right? right? Like, you watch the highlights, you know, Dawkins MTA does a great job with that, like, oh man, you know, hey. 17 points like that's pretty awesome like look how spectacular this was that mid-range shot he's at least like stepping into it with confidence you know he doesn't at least look like a non-shooter but then and maybe this is because it's a he's a rookie or maybe he's never going to solve these problems i would stem more towards the former explanation but he's just not there in terms of the efficiency overall right and
1: you know point guard's all of them I I can't think of any exceptions always struggle in their first year especially shooting the ball so at least at least he's showing some prowess around the rim
0: yeah Kyrie Chris Paul maybe would be I mean there are not many you're right about that uh, that it is really the latest developing position which is funny uh, Kevin Pelton talks about that all the time but really uh, bigs you can be more effective at least in the box score stats early on because you can just be more athletic and more energetic and get on on the glass and Block shots whereas the point guard position you really your skill level is so important as far as shooting running the team knowing where everyone is uh, on pick and roll
2: and you also feel the speed difference i think a lot more at point guard than you do at big spots just because of the nature of the position and because bigs generally you know the way they age they're faster higher energy early and often playing fewer minutes too
1: yeah definitely i i'd, I'd agree with all those sentiments uh, and another young guy that i really was you know i've been impressed by so far just three games in uh bogdan Bogdanovic. he he's been it, it's not saying much but he's been their most dynamic wing win, uh creating in the pick and roll uh, he said it hit a couple of pull-up jumpers and he's just he seems really intelligent about just making passes to the weak side uh when he's working in the pick and roll he he'll, he had a couple where he stared down the roll man to keep that uh weak side help tagging the big man just a little bit longer and then he whipped a perfectly on target pass to the corner so if if they can get some out of that out of bogdanovich they got to be really excited about it because justin jackson and buddy Heald have have really struggled to create any of their offense uh which is something they're struggling with. And I'll just touch a little bit more on Scal. Uh, he, he's showing a lot of good touch from the mid-range, but his lower body is just still so weak. Uh, he For most of the Washington game, he was mashed up against Otto Porter, and he was taking a lot of his fadeaways and turnaround jumpers, which are his shots, but he just didn't seem fully on balance on those, struggled a little bit. He had one of those on Bradley Beal, and he couldn't beat him off a of mismatch, so you'd like to see a little bit more confidence there.
0: Yeah, it is tough for those guys. And Porzingis is finally starting to find his way with that. You really, as a big, you have to be one of two things when you're posting up against a smaller player. I mean, either you have to have the threat of just being able to back down and overpower the guy. And that Scal doesn't have that. He doesn't get to the foul line a lot. But he is a great jumper off of two feet. And Porzingis, he's not going to try and back in for a layup and force help. He's just gotten comfortable with being so much taller than whoever's guarding him, especially at the four position in Scal is going to have that height advantage at the four. As well on most nights uh, because teams play small against the pellets so he's got to just be comfortable getting into position. At least not get knocked backwards when he goes for that shot. You know, don't make it a fadeaway; make it a shot that he's comfortable with. Maybe off the glass, and, and perhaps that's how he could be effective. But even when you're, it's the rare player even shooting over smaller players who can be effective on turnaround jumpers. So maybe he'll be that guy, but it's tough to say because if he's playing at the four, and you mentioned his strength issues, you know, Danny and I love him as a five, but those would be more pronounced if he's at the five so you understand why Jaeger is uh that and the fact they have a million centers is why he's reluctant to play him at five so you wonder then about whether he's gonna be able to get strong enough and and I hope he can he's got a a high skill level there but it's uh something that these young bigs who are not overpowering but have a nice touch all have to kind of go through is just being comfortable have a guy underneath you but know you're not going to get your shot blocked and just shoot the shot that you want
1: yeah I totally agree and you know he's gonna have to try and you know, find a way to be efficient on that,
0: that that's good that's what we're paying <laughs> Danny and I love that that's what
1: we're paying you for is to, to agree well, with, I, I with everything I disagree with we Danny that, about finding Scal exciting but uh, uh, that's the only thing I'll disagree with so far uh.
2: I I find his, I, fi- uh, I find his potential exciting. His game to game performance is not always exciting. It's a different kind of thing with him. But also I enjoy his weak side defense. I think that's something that he brings that I I enjoy and that would be a change if he ever is a full-time center that he gets to maximize a little bit being a 4. So we'll see it we'll see if that happens, but I still no, he, like him defensively. He did have
1: a couple of those, you know, wow blocks from the weak side where you're just like, "Where did he come from?" He's, he's just so quick on his feet and you know, he's a quick jumper. So yeah, I, I I'm in agreement there that he does have some defensive highlights that make you say, Wow, but uh yeah, I I won't touch any further on that. And those those are the main guys for the Kings I wanted to touch on. Anybody else I, I'd probably get too negative on. So uh unless you have any more thoughts on the Kings, I think we should probably move to the next team.
0: Well I yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about it. they started with George Hill and Zach Randolph resting in this game where they just got completely destroyed by the Wizards today who were coming off a tough back to back uh no actually I'm sorry, that's right. That game was on Friday, so they weren't coming off back to back. Um and so they started Fox, healed. Uh, Bogdan at the three, Scal at, at four, and Collie stein at five. And, you know, that, that unit obviously was completely unsuccessful. They got blitzed from the jump in the first quarter, although, you know, that's maybe what we want to see from them. So, and then George Hill, I said that just subjectively he has not looked good. He had one really nice... 25 point game where he was like you know 9 to 12 from the field or something like that and other than that it's really been a problem for him so last year on a Utah team that had more options he's playing with Gordon Hayward and Derek Favors was around Rico Baird Joe Johnson he had 24% usage which is close to a career high and he took 38% of his shots from three right now he's at 17% usage so below average remember this is a team that is struggling to score so badly; they have no one who can get into the paint and he's turning it over on 24% of his possessions and Hill for all of his strengths Danny and I have liked his game for a long time and I kind of I don't want to say I turned on him it's just I, I was worried about his health coming into this year with that toe injury and it has not looked good so far the fact that he's already resting for a game isn't great either uh and with him taking 38 percent of his shots from three last year he's at 22 percent this year and one of the strengths of him is that he likes to shoot three pointers on spot ups he's really good at that but if you don't have anyone to create those spot ups and they really don't have anyone who draws a double team on this squad now whether it's getting into the paint or in the post he's not only taking 22 percent of his shots from three and he is taking one spot up jump shot the entire season which is unbelievable to me that anyone on your team who plays this much would have taken only one spot up shot and so they need more creation from him he hasn't been able to do that and then what he was good at was either being a secondary playmaker or hitting threes off the ball and he's just not getting any of those opportunities whatsoever pretty much every one of his threes is off the dribble and he's nowhere near as effective on those so that signing which i was skeptical of especially for this team you know he's a much better player on a team that really you know has guys in great like he would have been a much better fit on a team like the wolves for example next to Wiggins and Towns and Butler um but and then you wonder too about like where his health is at he has this groin issue the toe issue was always the if you have an arthritic toe and you don't have surgery there's always a concern there but I'm sure he didn't want to have the surgery and then like potentially mess up his free agency and so that's where we're at with him and I don't know that it's necessarily going to get any yeah
1: and just, just 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 to touch on that I think a lot of his you know struggles this year have been you could attribute it to it with a lot of the lineups he's played with like he's he's playing with Willie Cauley-Stein at center, and Justin Jackson and Buddy Heald on the wings. So it, their possessions, if if they can't get something off a screen, you know, off of one of their actions, it, it comes down to George Hill in the pick-and-roll or a post-up, which, you know, that's not the foundation for any great offense. So I, I think there is some room to, for optimism if they can start playing them in lineups that have... De'Aaron Fox some and uh, Bogdanovich to ease some of the burden uh and and by the way Zach Randolph 10.5 PR 39
0: percent true shooting uh yeah and and, and I mean and he was really one of the least efficient high volume offensive players in the NBA and I mean to get two years 24 million uh you understand why the Grizz weren't too interested in matching that you know there was a thought that oh maybe it's just because he has to create so much offense on this limited Grizzlies second unit like that's why he hasn't been effective but when you consider just how many of his shots he's taking really from bad ranges now uh only 20% of his shots coming at the rim as the supposedly bruising power forward who's playing by the way in two big lineups so usually the problem is though they just put the little guy on Cawley Stein and then the center guard Zach and he's doesn't really have the juice to beat centers uh, at the basket. What, longer.
2: All right. what, what one quick yeah, thing ahead. I want to mention: Zach Randolph's pick and roll defense. Yet again, it was a problem the last couple of years, but it's it's exacerbated playing with starters and against starters on this Kings team.
0: All right, Liam, thanks uh for your hard work. He's contributed with some more of these sets that we're going to get to, but we'll let him go. We did the Kings first because it's uh twelve forty-two in the morning at, on the East Coast, and he's got to go to work tomorrow. So, uh, thanks, Liam. We will talk to you uh, next week, obviously for this who we got next here danny
2: the dallas mavericks so the mavericks are one in six. Oh god we're gonna lose the entire audience <laughs> already. <laughs> you remember that i said we should go in the opposite <laughs> order but yeah but but then we but then we have <laughs> but then we have denver after that and denver has some sex appeal so we'll, we'll hope that that'll get there and we'll we'll get to trashing the warriors soon enough so that'll be people can look forward to that so dallas I is promise w- we won't spend i promise we won't spend 18 minutes on the mavericks by the way we won't uh so dallas is one in six their their net rate Rating is negative 9 28th in the league so one behind the kings offensive rating 103.3 is 22nd and their defensive rating of 112.3 is 27th and so for me the big story here and this was these stats were compiled before their game against the Sixers which they lost narrowly that was a little bit of a wild one they had the worst starter net rating in the entire league but then the big part of that is they have a 114.6 defensive rating in those minutes and Dirk's defensive rating overall is 117.3
0: Yeah, negative 19 net rating with Dirk on the court uh, coming into that Sixers game, and part of the reason they've had to start Dirk and Noel together has been that Seth Curry has been out, Dennis Smith has missed time also so it's really been a struggle for them and Dirk the time at which he's an effective player I think has now passed you know it's definitely at the start of last year he got to be better by the end of last year maybe he'll improve but just defense I mean two or three years ago we were saying hey you know what like Dirk is, is enough of a problem defensively that really you can't build a contending team around him and that's something that we talked about and now his offense is not even he doesn't even have the gravity offensively anymore and he really just can't move which you that happens when you're a 40 year old, basically. And overall, right now, Dirk. PER, 46% true shooting, which is pretty rough for him. So if he's not scoring well, I mean, he still has that gravity to some degree. I think really what would make the most sense for this team is him coming off the bench. But number one, he's a franchise icon. Number two, he is just like old enough. And he's one of these guys who really has trouble getting loose that he kind of has to start the game because he's actually loose enough. So right now he's only playing... 26 minutes a night has played in all seven of their games, but I think they are going to really continue to struggle with him out there. And, and perhaps that's one thing that I underestimate Is they're one in six. Looks like they're not going to get anywhere close to the 36 wins that I predicted for them. And, and at, what were you? Like? You were like 35. You're pretty close in that range.
2: I was pretty close. And in the long run, depending on how they feel about free agency this year, it could be a very good thing for them. Assuming this is Dirk's last year, he's. It's not even a. It's not a stealth tank thing because they were using him for a very different reason but having a rougher than expected year could actually set them up because i actually like a lot of the pieces that they have long term and something that i noticed before the before the sixers game and, and the disparities a, a little bit better now with the dirk stuff because they the way the sixers game went but when harrison barnes and Nerlens noel have played together which is a reasonable proxy for where they might go whether it's noel or someone else they've only been outscored by 2.4 points per 100 per 100 possessions they're negative 24.2 net rating when barnes plays without noel which is a pretty even amount in split but you think about the difference in player quality so i think there's a lot here to like it's just that they're going to have to filter it out and get it right from here on out
0: give our impressions on dennis smith he's played five games missed two with that knee effusion came back for the warriors game seen some good things for him from an athletic standpoint certainly Uh, gotten a lot of praise from opponents about how he runs the team 13 points a game, 6.6 assists in 30 minutes, and shooting very well from two, 53% from two, which is exciting. But he's taking half of his shots from downtown, only hitting 24% from down there. And then oddly enough, shooting very poorly from the free throw line. He's been getting to the foul line reasonably well, but shooting only 45% there. And I think he's he likes to take jump shots a lot. I don't know if he's quite there in terms of his efficiency yet. We'll see if... He may need to cut down on those shots a little bit. Uh, Harrison Barnes, by the way, actually is getting to the foul line a little bit more. He's taking 5.1 free throw attempts per game. Uh, but he, Dirk, and Wes Matthews have all really struggled from an overall efficiency. Barnes did break out in that Sixers game with seven threes and 25 points. So... You know, I think this is just going to be... Oh, last thing I want to say about Smith, too. People said his defense at NC State was awful. It was. But he has the tools to be better than that. He has uh, averaged a high number of steals in college. Doesn't have a ton of those yet. And the defense has really fallen apart for him. He was better in summer league. Now, I don't know whether it's just an effort issue, whether it's just that he isn't in his greatest shape, that this knee has been bothering him. But he really has been back to just completely unacceptable effort a lot of the time. Okay, that's it on Dallas. We'll be right back to get to the somewhat struggling Denver Nuggets. Talk about what it has been about their offense so far, that hasn't quite lived up to expectations. Lyft knows that their drivers are what keep them moving. They do everything they can to ensure that drivers are happy on every trip, and they do everything they can to ensure that passengers are happy on every trip. Nine out of 10 Lyft rides get a perfect five star rating. I have never once had a Lyft ride that I did not give a five star rating to, and I've been a customer of theirs since 2013. Happy drivers mean happy passengers. And Lyft really provides something that it's tough to get elsewhere. It's a money-making opportunity that you can do essentially whenever you're free. So if you even want to get a part-time job, they're going to say, hey, you got to work at least a four-hour shift. It's not the case with Lyft. If you've got an hour, if you've got two hours, you can drive and you can make some money quickly with their express pay that lets you get paid almost instantly and you can get a $500 new driver bonus by going to lift.com lyft.com slash capspace today that's a url slash capspace at lyft and you can get at 500 new driver bonus it's about a week-long process to get certified they'll set you up with a mentor driver in your area do a background check check out your car that's basically the process and then you'll be ready to go lyft.com slash once again is that url limited time only terms apply all right let's get to the denver nuggets three and three 0.7 net rating 17th in the nba they are 18th in offense a big surprise that they are that low 15th in defense Danny what is wrong with this team we expected to be an offensive juggernaut
2: we'll note again that a lot of this was before their win against the Nets which was fueled by a huge third quarter they had a really nice I actually watch that and we could talk about it a little bit but so the, the bigger arcing parts of this is that they they're losing some of the they're giving some points away that they shouldn't and then they're not being efficient in some ways that they used to be so they have the second worst turnover rate in the league 18.4 percent of their possessions have ended in turnover and their fifth lowest in free throw rate and that's a big one because you know we've talked at various points about the differences between Paul Millsap and Gallinari and Millsap is so much better as a defender but he's not the greatest guy at getting the free throw line he does have some nice moments at it and they've really missed Gallo in that perspective also Jamal Murray isn't the same type of driver at this point and so being that low means that you're you're giving up easy points to the other team and you're not getting as many of them yourself.
0: Yeah, they have a number of issues, but the biggest one is just the ball's not going in the basket for certain players. Murray, the most egregious offender there, 3.9 PER, it was zero, negative zero 0.4 after a couple of games, and he's only 33% true shooting, so the league average is like 54%, so that is really, really bad, and from three... It's been a massive struggle for him. He is shooting 9.5% from downtown, and he's been starting. We were really excited for his potential as a starter, and his three ball has just been way off. I mean, he's shooting 6.2 attempts per 36 minutes. That's a fair number, and just not making them. And then Wilson Chandler, it's also been a struggle for him. If he continues at this rate, he probably opts into his $12 which is something that could really mess up their cap cap planning for next year when they could face a luxury tax payment for chandler he's only 40 percent true shooting and really has not been able to hit a shot either not getting to the foul line at all you mentioned that none of these guys get to the foul line murray all season has only taken four free throws which is horrendous wilson chandler has only taken four free throws all season and that's one thing that Murray has to get way better at is uh, those dark arts are getting the foul on. And I think when you see that they're struggling so much from three, 33% overall, they finally hit some today, uh, that they really missed Danilo Gagnari more than we thought, which is a surprise because they scored at pretty much the same rate when he was out of the game and and missed time last year but with Chandler paying playing so poorly Juan Hernan Gomez is out now with mono uh, for four to six weeks they really just do not have uh, the shooting to take advantage of some of these opportunities
2: Another big category that they've struggled with is just broadly half-court offense. So they have, they're have 29th right now in points per play after today's game, which is a big problem. That's from Ben stats for, for those that are interested. It's a really cool number that he's getting at. And then also a big part of that is, and this of course has some transition in it too, they were third in the NBA in shots in, in the restricted area last year. It was 40% of their attempts were there. Right now that 40% is 29%, and so they've moved from third to 29th and that you know that's a place where you can really make some hay and also that you know that they're not also getting the foul line because sometimes those can transfer it's a big big problem and they'll be better and I think they should be somewhat encouraged by the three and three even though their three wins were all against decidedly unimpressive teams they beat the Hawks without Schroeder they beat the Nets and then they beat the Kings who almost everybody's beaten so we'll see how they actually fare you know in those kind of home games against decent teams like that and we're gonna see some of that in the next couple weeks they play play miami on friday and and so like how they really fare in those type of games because if they want to be a playoff team in a west that still looks like it's going to be strong you have to at least take care of home court when you have the best home court advantage in the league
0: yeah and just from people that I trust who are watching them, and I've seen the same. It's just not quite as crisp. And you'll remember that Chris Finch was the guy who really helped create that beautiful offense that they had a year ago. And you'd think, all right, they, he taught it to them, they learned it. But it's really one thing that I really am getting to, and we'll see this a lot with the next team we're going to talk about too, is that habits are important, right? Coaching is important. Even teams that feel like, hey, we have this ingrained knowledge, you still need to practice and reinforce that knowledge and great habits on a daily basis to do. Do the work, And with Chris Finch not there, and they've done some cool stuff in New Orleans with him, maybe that's having a, a little bit of an effect here. So between not making shots, and then Jokic has had some really bad shooting games, he's back up to being more efficient now, but his usage is below 20%. And he also is turning it over at a fantastic rate. That's the other thing this team is doing a lot of is turning it over and then they also have not been as good uh, with paul milsap out there i think that's another part of why perhaps it hasn't looked as sexy as it did last year is just trying to integrate milsap into this
2: system and that will certainly take some time he likes to operate in different spaces than especially Gallup, but some of the other guys and so well, well, i I'm, I'm somewhat optimistic about where it's going to go but there are these challenges in terms of just seeing like kind of kind of what their ideal form is and how long it's going to take but i still like where they're going overall do you still feel at least somewhat optimistic about them
0: yeah I do and the biggest thing has just been Gary Harris has played well but really you know besides he and Jokic they haven't had anybody else who's been oh Will Barton actually has played well and they've been doing some of these two point guard lineups with Murray struggling so much and Moutier has been a little better but he still hasn't come close to being efficient in his career either So, yeah, I mean, Jamal Murray is just going to have to start hitting shots. You know, he has a a high skill level. There was hope that, I mean, he played all last year with his sports hernia, and he was going to be healthy coming into camp. He was going to look a lot better that it just... He can't make a shot right now so they're gonna have to shoot better i mean the encouraging thing i guess is that the defense is middle of the pack so you could say hey they at least have this history of getting to be this good on offense the defense is good so maybe there's some reason for optimism there you could also say that they have this history of being bad on defense and that could regress so uh, and we don't have enough time to get into you know how real it is that uh, their defense is better today but uh, that may be something to take a look at for next time if it persists all right, man. What did you see in today's game against the Pistons that the Warriors blew a 14-point lead in the last 20 minutes? And that might be a good framing for what their issues have been. Now at only four and three, and uh, really have only had one game where they've looked like the Golden State team that we're familiar with.
2: Tonight was a good encapsulation of it. They turned the, the they turned the ball over 26 times on Sunday against the Pistons. They this is one of my favorite ridiculous stats I found in a long time. They'd only turned the ball over 26 or more times twice since 2000 and six and those games were on consecutive days back in 2014 just a weird thing that happened against the the Suns and the Rockets but they were just reckless with the ball some of it was forced errors by the Pistons just playing the passing lanes really well they deserve a lot of credit part of it was just the Warriors being reckless I mean Draymond Green in particular has thrown some uselessly ambitious passes like, I think it was against the Raptors where he threw three balls like outlet passes to a guy who was double covered you can think of it like a quarterback who just throws a terrible ball he's had a couple like that and that is to a point betraying the rest of their offense because for example in this game they shot 57% from the field it was just that Detroit took I think it was 17 more attempts because they had the ball that many more times and they're not getting to the foul line particularly well and so you have these bigger scope things you know in terms of the defense that I think are going to be resolved and that's the peril that you get into with this Warriors team is like yeah they have these problems now but I don't those sorts of things I don't see persisting there are other things that I think will but not that.
0: The defense has been bad. The offense has been pretty much fine. Third in offense, but yeah, that 23rd in defense. Now, you'll remember last year, they started off really poorly as well. And in terms of their defense, still, they just have not looked like the Warriors in terms of their switching, in terms of their connectedness. They've put together very brief stretches at times but one thing to watch with them too is this is really the first year in this run that you can look at them as having kind of a championship hangover type effect right because the first year obviously that was the first year with Kerr the second year everyone was like oh these guys didn't even deserve the championship they came in incredibly motivated they started the season off winning 24 in a row the year after that, they'd blown the 3-1 lead. KD had come in. All the eyes were on them again. KD, all these guys were really... Steph Curry was ready for redemption as well. And so this year now is the year where everyone's been saying, all right, these guys are the favorites. Until further notice, they're going to kick butt. And I think another thing to watch for them at this point is Steph is averaging 28 a game, only hitting 34% on threes though. Does have a 29 PR. KD averaging 25... I'm sorry, 26 a game. Klay Thompson at 21 a game. Nobody else even close to double figures. Draymond Green at eight a game. And then of the guys who actually play, you've got like Sean, uh, everyone else is below five points a game. Uh, David West is is actually the one guy who's been a little bit better. He's had a couple of nice games. So you have not been getting a ton of contributions from other guys and it's been it has not quite been the beautiful warriors basketball we've been accustomed to seeing in fact like you're at that wizards game on friday and once draymond got kicked out especially it was just your turn my turn steph and kd pick and roll or isos pretty much the entire second half and they were killing it because those guys are just really good but Curry you could see him getting really frustrated that they weren't playing the usual type of of Warriors basketball so they just are not as connected on either end of the floor and I think another thing too is that Zaza Pachulia is he might be about done do you think that's possible he started off last year badly too but he really I think they have not looked good in his minutes
2: they haven't and defensively he's looked a little bit off and then offensively it's it might even be a step back from last year. He's there was a play today where he had a, it looked like he had a pretty open layup and he passed the ball to Omri Caspi and Caspi fumbled it out of bounds I think because he never expected the ball to come to him. I mean when a guy has a layup with has a layup and there's like maybe a little bit of footsteps you never expect to get the ball. And so that's going to be a problem. The fortunate thing for the Warriors is if Kerr is willing to play the hot hand, they have a lot of other options. And some of the other options I think can do well. I think Jordan Bell. I'm not saying he should start but he's looked good david west has looked good no no, he
0: should be inactive what are you talking about he, he threw the ball off the backboard didn't you realize that Danny? like he, he should be inactive for a few games no I, I think that's really i think that's more about the looney showcase <laughs> frankly uh looney didn't play it all today did he
2: no he w- so you don't want me to get into all that do you that i don't think that's really a 15 and 60 you, it seemed like you were it seemed like you were it's it seemed like you were baiting me and then you didn't want me to answer the question <laughs> But that's fine uh let's let yeah i, I will <laughs> no, I,
0: I apologize well because i was asking you i i was not at the game no, today because yeah, i was here yeah, like, getting this ready, yeah, but, yeah. If, for
2: people who want to i'll probably go on a just a massive tirade on warriors watch at some point about the inactive active stuff because jordan bell played the best game of his best game of the season against the raptors and then was was then inactive in the next game it was weird
0: yeah. Yeah. Because Kurt said he wants to reward Kevon Looney. Uh, and then he uh, reward him again for playing well the other night. It's like, well, uh, how about rewarding the guy who's actually been like legitimately good? Although Looney did have a nice close to that game against the Wizards. Give you a few more stats here. They are giving up a ton of offensive rebounds. Another indication that their defense is not where they want it to be. 67% shooting at the rim, 27th best in the NBA. This is the best rim-protecting team in the league, basically through this entire run that they've had. Their deep reserves have been horrible defensively. JaVale McGee, they have not been able to stop anyone. 128 defensive rating in his minutes. Nick Young, 116 defensive rating in his 69 minutes. And both those guys, when they're off the court, it's much better. So they've Kerr, I think, is even contributing somewhat to the lack of urgency because just kind of playing all these guys cycling through. Ah, let's see what works. Let's uh, play this guy to see if we can get someone to take us off our off our hands before we have to decide on his rookie option. And like so, there's it's just a feeling of kind of malaise right now, and I think they'll get through it just fine. Let's get to their competition in the Western Conference, Houston.
2: The Rockets are 5 and 2. They have a net rating of +3.1, which is good for 11th in the league, 13th in offense at 106.1 per 100 and 12th in defense at 103 per 100 possessions. And that is impressive when you consider that they've been dealing not only with Chris Paul's injury, but just a slew of other stuff around their roster. the nays missed time, Trevor Reza had a foot sprain, Eric Gordon missed today's game cuz he was sick. Like they just have all sorts of things going on they've been able to to rise through it pretty well and I, I their offense has been weaker than you would expect just considering their pedigree but i think defensively they've been doing a nice job yeah
0: and especially with paul being out as you mentioned, Ariza being out two of their better defensive players. It hasn't been I mean, the, the offense being as low it, as it is. I mean, they started off like gangbusters. And I think that a lot of that is just the injuries. But it, it'll be something to monitor of, hey, if P.J. Tucker is on the floor and if Luke and Mute are going to be on the floor, are they going to be able to score efficiently with those guys as opposed to ryan anderson and defensively of course they're much better they've been at defending at an absolute elite level 98.7 defensive rating when he's off the floor uh and then offensively 113.3 offensive rating when anderson is on the floor and 94 without him so he's certainly living up to his reputation as an all-offense player they don't force any turnovers when he's out there but when it, tucker and Mute they can pressure up a lot more they're playing some lineups even with tucker at center as well uh these guys do generate a ton of spot-up looks, right? Because their offense is basically, hey, run a pick and roll, and we're gonna spread you out. Uh Eric Gordon, number one in the NBA so far in spot-up possessions. Anderson is number six, which is remarkable because Gordon doesn't play that many minutes. Neither does Anderson. And then even PJ Tucker, who we felt like passed up shots or just didn't even get that many in Toronto and Phoenix last year. He's number 13 in the NBA in spot-up possession. So three guys in the top 13. For this team, but we really can't learn that much about them until they get healthy, until Paul comes back. Uh, I think they've done well to stay afloat. I'm surprised still that the offense is as low as 13th, considering they still do have James Harden, they still do have these shooters. And that'll be something to monitor maybe two weeks from now of like, hey, you know, are all these great defensive players that they added starting to hurt their identity uh on offense a little bit? Not to say they shouldn't have added them, but. It, it's harder to score when you got Tucker and Ibamute out there.
2: That's certainly true. And one other thing I want to monitor is how the Rockets' defensive rebounding goes because they've. Jumped all the way from 21st to 3rd so far this year, which is great. And that's had a, a big spillover effect in terms of preventing second chance points per Falk site. They're, they're fourth best at preventing second chance points. And so that's a, a great thing for this team, just as a way. And also, of course, that helps fuel transition and so many other things. And so as they shift around their personnel, as they get guys back, if, if they can hold on to that element, I think that will really be, you know, even if they're not fourth, let's say they're 10th, if they go from 21st to 10th, that will give them some last. Attitude. even if they struggle in some of the other components of defense like their first shot defense isn't amazing and if we'll see how they get on forcing turnovers
0: let's get to the clippers now four and one after a loss at home to detroit what a road trip for detroit to beat the clippers and golden state on a back-to-back pretty impressive uh but the clippers still second in the nba in net rating 13.5 they are the tenth ranked offense, but the country mile first ranked defense. Ninety three point eight points per one hundred. What are your thoughts?
2: Last season, the Clippers started out the year dominant on defense and with a surprisingly effective bench. This season, they're starting out with a surprisingly dominant defense and a very effective bench. They had going into the game, yeah, expectedly effective bench. Yeah, though, that that part, say. that part. Yeah, that that's the shift that happened. And so they're before the game, they had against. Detroit they had the best bench net rating in the league eight plus 18.1 I think that's still I think it's they're still number one I just think the margin changed and I think both components of it will dissipate I mean their defense has been pretty ridiculous but some of that I think really has been just getting a little bit of good fortune but something that that we that did a little bit of digging on is that the fundamentals here are really positive that they're forcing shots from the right places teams are shooting a lot in mid-range against them and they're doing a great job of protecting the rim.
0: Yeah, DeAndre Jordan has been very difficult to deal with. Now, let's keep in mind, too, they played against the Earl Watson coach sons. Not the J. Triano Suns, which are a juggernaut, of course. And the Lakers, for two of their five games, neither of those teams really are going to get to the rim very well. So they are doing really well. I mean, they're forcing guys into DeAndre. They're rebounding at an incredible rate. I mean, they used to say, hey, Blake doesn't average enough rebounds. Well, both he and DeAndre have been excellent. Unlike a lot of Doc Rivers' teams, they've really been offensive rebounding quite well. At this point, they are fifth in offensive rebound percentage 28.2 and especially in the half court where it's harder to get offensive rebounds a lot of times they've been really outstanding second best in the half court per uh ben falk one thing that's really interesting and these are can be numbers can be a little bit fluky they're actually the worst in the nba at preventing transition they're only 70% of their plays defensively are in the half court, but the teams are scoring really poorly. Now, the Lakers are playing at just an absolute breakneck pace. So are the Suns, but they're also bad offenses. And so that could really be contributing to that as well. The teams are just forcing up bad shots in transition against them. But that's something that we can take a look at. Um,
2: well, something I want to talk about is that, just quickly, is that you talked about their offensive rebounding has been impressive. And what makes that substantially more interesting and also potentially fluky is that Blake Griffin has been shooting so many more three. So Blake Griffin has had a, you know, he's having a a wonderful year so far, statistically 25 points a game, about 10 rebounds a game, same about assist rate as as usual, which I actually thought would be a little bit higher without Chris Paul there. But he's gone from a career high of 1.9 threes per game to 5.8 so far this year. And he's making 41% of those. I don't think that either of those numbers is going to persist, but this is the something we talked about. I I actually wrote a piece on this Porzingis' rookie year about the idea that you Usually, guys who shoot threes can offensive rebound well, and while, while there are players who thread the needle for a short period of time, and Porzingis did that rookie year, eventually you come back to earth on one side or the other.
0: You'll remember that last year they had teams that were just shooting unsustainably poorly against them in that great defensive start. So far, though, they really are just in the aggregate taking the best shots and forcing teams to take the worst shots in terms of their shots at the rim, forcing a lot of mid-rangers. But again, I mean, the teams that they played play a big part in that. Detroit, another team that takes a ton of mid-rangers. Let's get to the LA Lakers, two and four negative 7.1 net rating that is 24th in the nba they have the 29th ranked offense although there is some reason for optimism here with the 13th ranked defense in the league
2: yeah there is and it's a challenge just to kind of really see the forest for the trees sometimes with this lakers team because one of the they have this situation where they have young guys that they're optimistic about but they just aren't good enough at this point so you just kind of have to think of it in perspective that they're going to have different players around them and that they're going to be better players at that point and that got into something that a question that i believe you asked that was got really really complicated which is just who is their best player we talked about this last year how are we we're going to keep having this question until they sign somebody in free agency next year
0: yeah that's interesting that like until they sign somebody and they're going to have all this space they're going to move it move someone to try to get two max players so no matter who they get you have to imagine that player will be their best guy maybe not though but it's tough so uh, their leader in pr right now is julius randall who has been an, off to an excellent start in terms of his own scoring he's closed some of their games where they've looked pretty good jordan clarkson is off to a nice start efficiency wise as well and kyle kuzma are their main guys and then you just look at the efficiency of their starting unit right like brooke lopez shooting extremely poorly 49 percent true shooting ingram up a little bit after a rough start, but still only an 11 PR, sub 50% true shooting for him. KCP shooting poorly, 9.2 PR. He's only played four games because he had that DUI suspension at the start, 48% true shooting. And then Lonzo Ball really has been a disaster offensively in terms of his own offense. 9.0 PER, true shooting 39%. He is six of 25, I think, going into the last game on above the break threes and was only shooting 41% at the rim. And it's been tough for him because with the exception of that Phoenix game, when Phoenix was just glued to all of their crappy non-shooters and Brooke Lopez closed the game, he just is not playing with enough shooting. And we talked about how when he was drafted, UCLA had more shooting around him than this Lakers team is going to. And with Ingram, KCP has not really been able to hit. Lopez hasn't been hitting. And then they have a non-shooter and Nance at power forward in the starting lineup. It's just really tough for Lonzo to do what they can. And you noted that after the first game Sham Sharania got a little bit of an exclusive interview with him and you have to imagine he probably talked to LeVar Ball as well uh and even though I don't think Ball was LeVar was quoted but you saw Shams saying oh yeah it needs to be in more of a spread pick and roll system they got to really play to his strength blah blah well you know Shams is not usually the type to opine unless one of his sources tells him something so you have to imagine that, like, Ball's camp kind of realizes as well that this is just not the personnel that he's going to thrive with. Um, do you have anything to say on that before we get back to this best player thing? I, I know I went on a tangent there, but I I think it's interesting to talk about, you know, why it is maybe that Lonzo's been struggling, other than just the fact that his three-pointers are not going in.
2: Well, so the other thing, you talked about his PER, and normally you would say, oh, for a point guard, you know, because that relies so much on it. But remember, he's been rebounding very well. He's actually, so his defensive rebound rate is almost 20%. He's at 19.4. That's very good for a guard. It's actually in line with Bam Adebayo. And so, and that helps, you know, that helps PER's offensive rebound rate isn't good, but that's not because he's a point guard. That's not supposed to happen. So there, there are some concerns there. I do think though that, that first of all, we talked about this a little bit earlier, that point guards always adjust. It always takes time, but that the that part of the system isn't there. And something that I want to watch and Alonzo's involved in this. And so are a lot of other guys is that part of what's been encouraging for the Lakers is that they've actually been getting back entry. Transition, they're middle of the pack in terms of opponent transition frequency. The part of their transition defense that has been bad is that opponents are really efficient when they do it. They're high in score frequency, high in, and they're actually highest in score frequency and opponent points per possession. So that means they're getting fouled, they're getting baskets, they're getting all that stuff. But usually that is more variable. It's kind of like when you defend the three point line and they go in or they don't go in. It's kind of the same idea. So they're actually getting back, but teams are being effective there. So maybe if that comes a little bit, then that can help offset some some losses that'll happen on the other side
0: they also up until their game against utah over the weekend and utah plays at an extremely slow pace uh, once again they were highest in pace and you mentioned that the opponent's transition frequency isn't that bad so a lot of it's been them just like pushing the ball up really quickly and it really hasn't been working frankly like because as you noted they are 29th in offense in the 20s in all four factors as well um all right so who's their best player did we decide
2: well i think overall you you don't look just to this year i think overall it's probably brook or maybe kcp yeah. it's, it's it's probably between those two guys but neither one of them has been particularly good this year i don't want to say who's the best off a five-game sample though because lots of teams and lots of players look good and bad over that amount of time
0: Yeah, I think you probably would still have to say Brook Lopez, Um, but the Lakers are kind of where role players go to die, right? I mean, we've seen so many guys' careers either stall out completely or, you know, going back to like a Jeremy Lin, someone like that, where they're just the team isn't good. They don't have any kind of creators to set them up. So, you know, maybe this KCP is not going to look so good and somebody will get a bargain on him next year. But yeah, I mean, if you have to look at just this season, they've played the best with Randall on the floor out of their main guys. And I think part of that is just because he's been efficient. He's shooting 85% of the room. They can do with some guys who can finish. Randall, I mean, you remember he shot so poorly around the room. I think the fact that he's playing in these smaller lineups now and basically playing as a center for a lot of his minutes it has really helped them. He's not played at all with Lopez yet, which is something we wanted to see more of. Uh, Lopez actually hasn't even been closing games for this team most of the time. It's mostly been smaller lineups with Randall and Nance or Kuzma and Randall. And p- when playing with Kuzma, Randall can certainly be a- effective offensively. And then, like, Kuzma is shooting 85% at the rim and Nance is shooting 90%. Now, you know, these are all probably on, like, 10 attempts, so let's not go crazy. But um you have any reason to change your prediction of where you had the Lakers in terms of wins th- this year? Or you think they're kind of right on track for that?
2: I think they're about on track for that, especially because at the beginning of the year they were missing some of their guys and they're still getting into a rhythm. I'm not particularly worried, but let's move on to a team where I might need to revise it. I mean, we we talked before the year. You had this feeling about Memphis that you know I didn't want that you didn't want to sell on them, especially while they have Conley and Gasol. I was ready to to, to burn the boats to a degree just because I didn't think their personnel was at that level. I'm not all the way admitting that I'm wrong yet, but we're really really close there. They've been great this year. They're five and one plus. net rating, which is eighth in the league, 16th ranked offense and a very, very strong defense at 98.4 points per hundred possessions. And what I've been impressed by with them is beyond beyond the Conley, the Conley Gasol awesomeness is just that they've been dealing with adversity too. I mean, Jermichael Green has basically not played this year. He got hurt early and they didn't have a natural fit for that spot. In in that game they used Brandon Wright and they've basically been using Jarrell Martin and then they've just gotten good contributions from their bench and Chandler Parsons has been certainly better than he was last year, big whoop. But he's been better, he's been better and he has been an important contributor for them. And they're still waiting for some guys. They're still waiting for Ben McElmore to get back. They're still waiting for Jermichael. So I'm not saying they're back or they're a definite playoff team, but they're definitely looking a lot better than I expected
0: be interesting to see whether their defense holds up because they are actually allowing a ton of threes and forcing very few mid-rangers. And meanwhile, Grizzlies opponents are shooting only 30% from three. That's a number that clearly is going to go up quite a bit. And... They're also shooting only 31% for mid-range and 54% at the rim. And and all of those numbers, even the rim shooting, is likely unsustainably low. So they're just getting lucky in terms of teams missing shots against them. And they've had these great wins against Golden State and Houston. But I wouldn't expect that great defense. I mean, to be that good defensively, having played some of those teams that they have, is pretty good. Other than they played Dallas for a couple of games too, which helps drag that down. It's going to be something to watch is whether they keep up this defense. Because they're kind of... Early on, the version of last year's Clippers, right, where those teams were just, that team was just allowing unsustainably low shooting on jump shots.
2: Something else I wanted to mention as kind of a red flag isn't necessarily the right word for it, but they have played the highest proportion of their plays against a set defense about 79% of the time. And that partially is just, you know, they're not as, as big as they were when they were playing Zebo and Gasol together, but they, don't, they haven't been pushing it to the degree that some other teams have. And they are eighth in half court offense per possession, which is good, but you just need to get more transition is just so much more efficient that being last probably won't help them.
0: Yeah, and we'll see whether they can continue to withstand the issues from Andrew Harrison, 40% true shooting, and Mario Chalmers as well, who actually has a 20% usage. He's been aggressive. But to be honest, you know, I know that he probably looked good compared to Wade Baldwin. They kept him over Wade Baldwin. Chalmers does not look cut the way he did earlier in his career. And while he might have looked good in camp, expecting him to be efficient this year seems unlikely to me. And then like Dylan Brooks, Jarrell Martin haven't been efficient either. They have been getting nice performances though from Mark Gasol and Mike Conley. Obviously those guys, uh, Gasol is 60% true shooting, taking 30% of his shots from three and getting to the foul line at a fantastic rate. Both he and Conley have gotten to the foul line on over 50... Or fifty percent free throw rates for them, which is great stuff. And uh, oh, by the way, Danny, uh, guess who leads the Memphis Grizzlies in PER right now?
2: I have. I'm. I, mis- I was going to say Mark, but I'm assuming it's not him. Oh no! It would be one Chandler Parsons. The other Max man. After that,
0: yeah, well, yeah, one of their three. And he hasn't done much so far, except most of that is on the strength of 9 of 11 shooting in their nice win against Houston when he went 6 of 8 from 3. So let's not get too carried away. He had one good game, and that's the only game in which he scored double figures. He had 24 points in that game on 11 shots. He only has three assists on the season. Like, they haven't been asking him to really play that secondary role. He looks much better. He looks more active, too, I thought, defensively. He's looked more active in the games that I've seen. But we'll slow down a little bit. But at least for him to have, like, what is easily his best game in a Grizzlies uniform and to just be giving them rotation minutes, I think, is useful. All right, why don't we get to the Minnesota Timberwolves at 3-3, three and three, but really ugly net rating, negative 7.1. That's 23rd in the NBA. They are the sixth-ranked offense that's good. And the 29th ranked defense, that is
2: bad it's also really bad because the fundamentals of this are a le- legitimately terrifying so they've been you think about the the four factors as talked about by dean oliver and they're doing very badly in three of the four they're dead last in opponent effective yeah. what,
0: what are those four factors by the way let's let's say what they are we might have new listeners sure or, uh, what what are the four factors this will be a good lesson for uh for some of our newer listeners you can skip for the next minute if, if you already know
2: so shooting which he uses effective field goal percentage effective field goal percentage because it incorporates threes being more valuable than twos turnover rate so that's forcing turnovers for defense and turning the ball over for offense rebounding you get that and then free throws so it's it's free throw attempt rate so the proportion of free throw attempts relative to field goal attempts
0: yeah and obviously how often you convert those free throws as well it comes into it but yeah basically those four things shooting from the field free throws rebounding turnovers that encapsulates everything that can happen statistically in the box score on a basketball court and they're really the place to start are those four things if you want to look at why a team has been effective or ineffective on either offense or defense
2: so the wolves are worst in a th- opponent effective field goal percentage 57.6 which is ridiculous and then they're bottom 10 in forcing turnovers and in defensive rebounding so you have a lot of different ways that opponents can get baskets i mean they're getting extra positions Sessions. they're making a lot of their first shots and then they're getting more shots up because the, because they aren't forcing turnovers and then the other huge part of this that is another representation of similar stuff is the restricted area they are allowing the second most opponent shots per game in the restricted area 31.3 per game and a 66 percent field goal percentage which is six highs. so they're giving up a lot there and they're being they're giving up effective shots there so that's a, a really dangerous combination
0: now they play that Thibodeau style defense at least they are forcing a fair number of mid-rangers but they're also giving up 56% shooting from mid-range and also giving up almost 40% shooting on threes so they're gonna get a little bit better in those respects it's really the shots at the rim that I think is the biggest issue and remember I mean this is a team they're playing two traditional pigs right like that's the number one thing that Tibbs believes in taking away um Carl Anthony Towns he's been playing at center Taj Gibson playing at four but Taj has slowed a little bit he knows where to be but he's more as a protector. I think of him really more as a center in today's game as well because he's been taking a few corner threes and but not enough where he's being guarded. I mean, do you remember that game last week where OKC just wasn't guarding him at all down the stretch, and he really was not able to make them pay? Uh, but on defense, you know, he's not really the same force. They really struggled defensively when Jimmy Butler was out for a couple of games with an illness. And But what we're at with Carl Towns is he's playing center mostly. When he played with Gorgie Jang, Jang would play more as the center. And, and it's tough to say whether Towns is worse as a 4 or a 5 Defensively, maybe I mean as a four, he's going to give up shots, but at least you know you're not relying on him as your main pick and roll defender and and protecting the rim. And I mean, it's amazing to me at this point that we all thought, and even early in his rookie year, and even at times, you know, like in that what is (laughs) going to be this almost apocryphal story about the one time that Carl Anthony-Towns played defense against the Golden State Warriors in the '73 win year and like shut down Steph Curry on the perimeter a bunch of times. And he's just he's awful right now. I mean, it's impossible to believe that someone with the tools that we thought that he had i mean even when he's in position now he just looks horrendous
2: what's even more dumbfounding about it for me is that he's a smart basketball player like this isn't a circumstance where it's a guy who's physically gifted and just can't get it like let's say gerald green like gerald green physically gifted guy just never had that currently D. towns is an intuitive passer he's one of the most skilled offensive players for his size i can remember but he just doesn't he doesn't play with force defensively and it's true that he doesn't play with that much force offensively so that's a little bit of a problem but yeah it's 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 an effort issue it's a an urgency it's an execution it's all of those things in one and i'm not writing him i'm not writing him off defensively but when you're starting to think about like what what this team's going to have as their calling card and what they're going to have as their weakness i mean some of this stuff in terms of their perimeter you know their area into defense you have to kind of price that in at this point sort of like what we've done with denver with Jokic.
0: yeah i'm really coming around to the idea that despite his physical tools despite the way he Can move his feet that maybe he's just not going to get there. And there's just these plays where he's just flailing around, he's never in a stance. He's just uh, you can almost see him calculating every move he makes defensively as to kind of whether it's worth the effort, right? And then he's standing not in a stance. So when he makes the decision to move, he has to first get into a stance or he doesn't, and it'll just kind of lunge. I mean, there was one play, uh, when I tweeted out last week in that first OKC game of like, hey, maybe he's never going to get it. What made me think that? I mean, obviously, we've seen the, this whole pattern but what brought it to mind for me was just a play where he kind of helped out on a driver but didn't really and kind of lunged at him and then uh, Jeremy Grant got the pass and he kind of lunged at him and just like took himself completely out of the play and Grant just went on the other side of the rim and dunked and he just had no effect and he's just lunging around out there not using his size not athletic not intimidating people and just letting guys go right at him
2: just because this will not really amuse you, but will amuse other people. The baseball game just ended. It started five hours and 40 minutes ago. Something like that. The baseball game is over.
0: Uh, let's see if we can do the podcast for longer than the baseball game goes. We're on track right <laughs> no, now.
2: No, we're actually, we're doing okay now. Uh, so let's, let's move on to New Orleans. They are three and three. They have a net rating of positive 1.1, which is 14th in the league right now. They are 11th in offense, 18th in defense. And so the big question that you and I are probably going to be spending a lot of the Pelican sections on for this entire season is how is the DeMarcus Cousins Anthony Davis dynamic with them together and with them separate
0: yeah and we've noted on previous shows that they've done a nice job of finding ways with the aforementioned Chris Finch and Alvin Gentry I mean this is the first time I've really seen creative stuff from Alvin Gentry and maybe some of that is Finch but just letting those guys play almost like guards and to that end DeMarcus is actually fourth in the NBA with 36 spot-up possessions. Now, a spot-up can include they throw the ball to him, and he pump fakes and drives to the basket. He's pretty good at that, right? And you have to guard him with the center, because otherwise he's just going to bludgeon you. Although he doesn't really like to post up anymore. He likes to turn and face. But even when he does that, he's quick enough to get a shoulder by the guy, and then... just work his way to the basket so you really have to have someone with some size and some strength on him and just in general on those possessions he's been extremely effective he has 48 points on those 36 possessions so that's really impressive and how have they looked in terms of like when they're playing together versus when they're separate from one another
2: the most surprising part of it and again i think this is a small sample size issue is that they've actually really struggled when davis has been the only guy on the floor offensively they've been scoring below 90 points per 100 possessions in those minutes and they're at about 50 minutes so it's not a ton right now but with them together they've been they've been reasonably effective it's been it's been encouraging in that way like so they're at plus 13 net rating with those guys together and it is interesting when you see kind of how their games how it plays when they're together and when they're apart so Davis is shooting more actually it's actually the difference is more interesting with cousins I'll put it I'll put it in cousins' way first so cousins is shooting more in the mid range and more from three when davis is on the floor which makes sense because that he's not occupying that space sure and he's been reasonably efficient you talked about his his spot ups before and he's he's at 37.5 on mid range that's not great but you know as long if you can reduce that total a little bit but cousins has been a a, an absolute monster when it's just been him so the usage rate is not that different 35 and 36 percent for cousins either way but his true shooting is went from 50 54% with with Bo- or with Boogie and 80 together to 70% true shooting when it's just him.
0: Yeah, and he's taking 34% of his shots from downtown shooting 35% on those. But that's enough that you got to get out there, right? And he's taking some difficult attempts. He by far leads this team in three-point attempts, taking 7.1 per 36 minutes. But he really is not taking many mid-rangers, right? It's either that or he drives all the way to the rim and and he's been a solid passer. I mean, just to give you the stats on him, 62% true shooting, which is by far the best of his career. He's been a guy who's never really been that efficient before because he just had to take every shot in Sacramento and maybe that'll come down a little bit but probably not I mean he's not doesn't have unsustainable three-point shooting I mean we saw the way he played in that Sacramento game especially which we talked about on Thursday a little bit where they actually surrounded him with shooting and he was completely unstoppable and as the league has gotten smaller Cousins offensively has gotten even better and then AD 62% true shooting on his own as well he's taking a few more threes these guys are both getting the line as well I mean that's the biggest thing too when you're gonna play this big is they're able to put opposing teams in foul trouble get even worse bigs Uh, on the floor for those teams ad is back to hitting the offensive glass as well 13 percent. he's doing more of that than cousins who is only going to offensive rebound his own misses basically at this point but he he could still get a lot of those and so uh, a lot of the fretting about this team was oh how can these two bigs play together they look amazing Uh, on offense it's just the support really that has not been there um what about from a defensive standpoint where have they been with those guys, with Cousins and Davis on or off the floor. Again, very fluky, small samples. So it's something that we'll track here. But, you know, my other concern about this trade was just, you know, how is DeMarcus going to affect their defense? What has been the results so far
2: so so far the results are pretty positive so with cousins there hasn't been as much of a split They're one o four 104.5 defensive rating with him and cousins together 103.3 so pretty close when it's just cousins the big split has been also partially because their offense has been so abysmal with ad they're actually defending five points worse per hundred possessions with him on the four but if they're at 104.5 in the minutes those guys play together and they're playing about 23 22 23 minutes together if they can be at 104 during those minutes, I think they'll be fine yeah they just got to
0: get more shooting uh Dante Cunningham four of 18 from three so far he's shooting 30 percent from the field Darius Miller who was brought in like he actually you know was not really an NBA player left to go to Germany they brought him back like he was going to be a guy who could be in the rotation he's taken 12 his 17 shots from three he's only two out of 12 on those threes and you know hasn't been great defensively Tony Allen has struggled as well he's shooting 42 percent Etuan Moore has been on fire he's shooting 50 percent from downtown and Drew Holiday has been okay. So we'll see how things change. Ian Clark has done what he's been asked to do. He's shooting 45% on his three pointers. So maybe he'll end up playing a little bit more now. And so maybe what this team is going to have to be is just unless the other team has like some great three, we're just going to see more of just like, you know, Ian Clark and Drew Holiday and Etwan Moore playing the three to get more shooting around AD and Cousins. So I think we'll see a lot of when the other team doesn't have a three that's worth guarding, like they're able to get away with that four guard lineup, for example again Sacramento because Sacramento doesn't have a 3 who's going to be like too big for some of these guys and then when they go against a team that has a quality wing option offensively then maybe they're gonna have to get cunningham on the floor or, uh you know not have as much shooting and, and it could really cause them to struggle so there we could see a dichotomy emerge based on their matchups
2: partially on those lines but something that you brought up which was absolutely bonkers from them against their, their, their win against cleveland the scoring distribution was unlike anything i can remember they had four different players who scored 24 more points and no one else who scored more than three
0: yeah more Moore and Holiday, Cousins and Davis were all between 24 and 30 points in that game. i right, us do a quick read and then we'll get to another fascinating team so far, the OKC Thunder. So I'm now the proud owner of two Helix Sleep mattresses. The first, which I got over two years ago now, was one that I actually purchased after I got one of those one size fits all mattress deliveries before they were even a sponsor of the show and that didn't work for me or my fiance we both developed some back soreness so one size fits all i guess we're not part of all so we returned that one and then she found helix sleep it was like oh actually it's the same concept but it's way better you can customize it sooner price range so we did that and now the california king that we have for them has been our mattress for the last two years and then we just moved into this new place we got one for the guest room as well And we were able to customize it. The one thing that we, it wasn't their mess up, it was ours, that we didn't get the coolest possible mattress. You can actually even adjust based on temperature. We just got the middle range and she was sleeping a little bit hot. So we got the new one to be the absolute coolest range. And that one's even better than the previous one that we had. They'll also sell you a great box spring. We, We got one of those. That's been working great. It took us maybe about 45 seconds to put it together so they can ship you that as well. That's a a nice looking stylish product. A lot of these box springs just look so ugly. It's really more of a base than a box spring, frankly. So we like that a lot. And the way to get started with Helix Sleep and try it for a hundred nights. If you don't love it, by the way, they'll pick it up and they refund you in full they'll also actually customize each side of the mattress if she and i couldn't agree that we both wanted to be cooler on this one she could have gotten a cooler i could have gotten hotter if that had been what we wanted helixsleep.com slash cap space is the url to get fifty dollars towards your custom mattress and of course let them know that you came from us that's an important part of that url helixsleep.com slash cap space will get you fifty dollars off your order and now let's get to the three and three oklahoma
2: city thunder so the biggest thing that i've been keeping an with the Well, first their fundamentals they're three and three they have a plus 10.1 net rating partially because of that crazy loss what is still my favorite game of the year to to Minnesota when Wiggins banked a three at the buzzer but they're fifth in offense seventh in defense so having a, a wonderful start in terms of those things and you focus more on that than you expected yeah. elements than you do on how many wins and how many losses
0: yeah that seventh in defense by the way I mean again you always got to remember part of why that is I mean we can say that number no, sure, doesn't of mean course. it's meaningless but they play. They played the Bulls over the weekend, and they <laughs> only uh, gave up a 72 defensive rating in that game. So always worth remembering the context for some of these when you you play just a team or, or like the pre. Well, yeah, like I was gonna say that with the, the
2: Portland Trailblazers who played the Suns twice already.
0: Right, yeah, Yeah. they're coming up next, yeah.
2: But so, but anyway, so what I wanted to say with Oklahoma City is a dynamic that I really wanted to watch with them was how they handled the minutes with and without Russell Westbrook. Because last year, part of the reason that you and I both supported Russell Westbrook for MVP was that the Thunder fell off a cliff when he was off the floor. So they were plus 3.3 in net rating when he was on and negative 8.9 when he was off. They were getting just shellacked. They didn't have a good backup. Samaje, just Norris Cole, they tried out... this year the way that they've worked on it primarily is not by having a better point guard though ray felton has done a wonderful job and deserves a lot of credit for that it's been by using carmelo anthony and carmelo anthony has been on the floor about 75 percent of the minutes that russell westbrook hasn't played and they've actually been comparatively better during westbrook's bench minutes than they have during his on-court minutes though that is influenced by a lot of garbage time against your chicago bulls
0: i disown them
2: i could still long. call them your in this kind of Although circumstance did, buy- did you get a hat or a shirt recently
0: <sighs> uh yeah i did but that's more like that's more just like classic style this is cool yeah i got the there when i was a kid in high school like the coolest thing ever was like the shooting shirt that they had in that 96 season with the 72 wins and so you know that had long since made it to the the trash heap but you know it was one of those shirts that like i wore like once a week in high school because you only had like five good shirts when you're in high school and like if you didn't wear something good you would get roasted but then if you wore something too often so i was like i judged that i could like get away with wearing it like once a week that was like just often enough to not like get killed i probably should have been but you know that's uh high schoolers can't afford nice things a lot of times uh and so anyway i got that shirt again i'll, I'll probably wear it for the next uh, twitter nba show which will be thursday uh, by the way uh assuming that my tv service gets installed but then they're supposed to come on thursday so i'm hopeful that the uh the studio will be ready uh anyway what were we even talking about? I'll,
2: I'll take over, so because this is something that I spend a little bit of time digging into.
0: So <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, I'll stick to fashion. You stick. There to we go. Right?
2: That that'll be the that'll be the split for for dunked on from now on. But so the biggest thing is that Melo's been in when Westbrook's been sitting, not uniformly, but but a lot of the time, and he turns into the Carmelo Anthony that we're used to. He goes from a 22 percent usage rate and 53 percent true shooting with playing with Westbrook, and largely that's with Paul George as well, to a 44% usage rate it straight up doubles and and right now it's a 62.5% true shooting I expect that to to regress a little bit but so he goes into that and the the amazing part of it is that yeah that's you know a a mellow heavy offense is not the most productive thing in the world but it's a whole hell of a lot better than what they had last year and then the other big difference is that their defense has been way better in those minutes I don't attribute that to mellow at all that's just partially not having a scanner out there and partially just having better defenders
0: yeah a mellow centric offense is a lot better than a Samaje Kristen centric offense and you know David Locke has been saying this too he thinks that the way they should do it is have Paul George be the main guy but I think Melo is more of more used to creating by himself in that role George is not that great on the ball just like running pick and rolls and creating you like to run him off pin downs and so those are really effective or they'll, he'll have uh, Westbrook will screen for him off the ball that they're starting to get a nice chemistry there uh, as he once had with KD and some simple actions, but that are still pretty difficult to defend with those quality of players. And so a lot of times what you'll see teams do to defend those pin downs is whoever's guarding the guy at the top of the the key, usually the point guard, will slough off it when the pass is made to get into the way of the guy coming off the screen if they don't want to switch that. Well, you've got Steven Adams setting the screen, so usually you don't want to switch whoever that is onto Paul George. And then you can't leave Russell Westbrook at the top of the key because if they throw it back to him, then you're not in front of him. He's just going to drive in and score or set someone else up. So that play has been pretty effective. I like the combination of those those two guys george though has not been quite as efficient i think as he would like and i do think it's important to remember that Russ is probably the best offensive player still of those guys and he also needs to not lose the fact that he pushes it down people's throats too. and that's really a very important aspect of their offense that they can't lose. Long term though, their bigger issue to me is just who's gonna be the fifth guy on this team when they really go to play against the best teams in down the stretch in the regular season and in the playoffs.
2: Adams is is certainly a contender for that just because he, well, no, no, he's no, one he's, of the four. He's okay. the fourth guy.
0: Who's the fifth guy is what I'm saying. Like Patterson I mean, Robertson Patterson is has looked awful, right? I mean Patterson didn't score for the first like uh five games or something of his tenure. He's three of seventeen. He's taken four. 14 of those 17 shots from three and he's made only two of them so he, he's looked real bu- bad and has not really looked good moving I mean Josh Houston, uh, he's been getting playing time people are like oh he's a player they should exercise option yeah well he's four or 17 from the field on the season Robertson has really regressed uh as well he's uh, hasn't even been hitting his two pointers he's shooting 40 from the field and they fouled him he airballed two free throws so Donovan will always just take him out if they start fouling uh and then Abrinas he's not hitting well either actually I mean he's 4 of 16 on threes but at least they got to guard him out there but he's way too slight defensively we saw the Wolves go right at him so this might be a team if Patterson can't come around that needs to find a way to make another trade of course they are very limited in that respect as we've discussed many times because and as we discussed on Thursday's episode because they have those two picks uh, outstanding in the future
2: something else i want to keep an eye on is that right now they have the lowest meaning best trend opponent transition frequency in the league it's only 10.7 percent of opponent possessions i don't think that's going to persist They're i don't see them as being this like amazing team at getting back they can you know i could see them being top half maybe even top 10 but yeah
0: they don't really, i mean they only have one guy on this team who offensive rebounds and also i think this is true too they only play one true center. that's true so just and and none of those guys really offensive of rebound or if it is it's a wing crashing in like a or, westbrook. or something um but i do agree with you like westbrook whenever he misses layups or goes to the offensive glass they can be vulnerable there but they have a lot of speed on this team so maybe that will yeah
2: it'll be players. something i want to watch because if they can if they can keep that tone down then that can give them a nice little defensive foundation i mean we've seen that with teams like the spurs and the jazz to a point that just getting back can be a big important part and we're not going to talk about cleveland in this i was actually before the monologue that started this i was going to make a joke about how this should have been an emergency podcast on the Cavs, but cleveland's transition defense has just been spectacularly bad i just wanted to bring that up because we're not going to talk about them for a little bit
0: steven adams has yeah. been awesome 26 pr 70 percent true shooting he's shooting 68 percent from the field 19 percent offensive rebound rate for adams oddly enough only 11 defensive rebounding rate but that's fine uh they've got plenty of rebound stealers russ carmelo and it's i still think i mean as long as the team isn't giving up a lot of defensive rebounds and, and overall in terms of Defensive rebound percentage, he needs to do a, a better job because they're 30th in defensive rebound percentage. So this whole Westbrook is gonna get every rebound thing, and then Carmelo is a kind of a notorious rebound hoarder himself. Uh but I think a lot of that too is just gonna happen with Steven Adams off the floor. And in fact, they've at least been adequate with Adams on the floor getting 75% of defensive rebounds. It's when he goes to the bench that they get a mere sixty seven percent of defensive rebounds, which is horrendously bad. I mean, that's like, you know, 1990s, 1980s level of defensive rebounding, which, you know, happened because teams crashed the offensive glass more. So I do think that getting some kind of a backup center option, we knew they were going to struggle there. That's probably not going to matter as much in the playoffs and the teams that they're going against aren't going to be huge offensive rebounding teams. And then really more importantly, whoever that fifth guy is going to be. Yeah, they could really use like a three and D wing on this team. (laughs) <laughs> big big surprise that the perpetual search for that continues although obviously paul george is, is about as good as it gets there but uh you know uh, that uh, a specialist who could play at the two and move uh the defense a little oh, bit in can i can it i
2: tell a brief really story helpful. just because i want to so i i I mentioned on on Twitter about how you know it's one of those. You,
0: you can also that that's basically like, hey, can I ask a rhetorical yes. question just because I want to? It's a, <laughs> it's, a device, right it's a storytelling device. nate It's a storytelling device.
2: But so the so basically what ha- I, I was lamenting, I guess you could call it, that Oklahoma City drafted Eric Bledsoe and traded him to the Clippers, and people were like, oh, that's true. They you know they weren't gonna draft if they kept the pick because it was for a distant protected first, which they ended up trading to. to To the Celtics and the Jeff Green and Jeff Green trade for Kendrick Perkins. Anyway, so I was talking about that and and I was I reached out to our our friend Fred Katz because I'm like, hey, you know, has anybody ever looked into who they actually would have taken? And Fred's like, actually, I did that. And so he talked to Sam Presti and the player they were going to take if they had kept that pick was Avery Bradley. So you could think about what that team that was still when they had when they had James Harden and when they had all that, he would have been their three and D wing.
0: Wow, that's uh, that's crazy. Uh, Let's get to the Phoenix Suns, a team that is yo-yoed quite a bit here. They've had some solid games after Triano. Triano. Took over. They're all the way up to twenty fifth in defense. Uh, Amazingly, you never would have thought that Jay Triano would be the solution, and maybe sending home Eric Bledsoe, who clearly didn't want to be there, has helped a little bit. You know, I think with Earl Watson, it might have been fair if they were going to try to move Bledsoe, and I guess I guess it wasn't until Watson got fired that Bledsoe said he didn't want to be there anymore. So I guess it never would have happened if they hadn't fired him. But I mean, for Earl, it's got to be kind of tough sitting at home. Not that I thought he did so. great job but I'm sure he's telling himself hey you know what like Eric wasn't even trying it was infecting the whole team like why couldn't we have sent him home and then give me at least a little bit of a chance to coach the team because it seems like now at least people are trying on this squad.
2: Beyond even switching Bledsoe because he's not there anymore out of the starting lineup, the other shift that they made was having Josh Jackson come off the bench, and they've moved Marquise Chris as as the starting power forward, and then had T.J. Warren shift from the four to the three. And you know that that shifts a couple of different things for them. I I think one of the, the bigger things is actually having a having a point guard who who cares more than Bledsoe did at that point. And I mean we both or we've talked. Talked about his talent before but that can be a really big part of this so i want to see where they go from here i mean it is i mean when you're talking about uh, what a coach gets fired that early you're dealing with an even smaller sample size than the six games that we already have but they have certainly played with more fight and more energy
0: yeah after losing their first three games by as we mentioned 92 points combined they beat sacramento by two at home in one of the best games of his career for marquise chris in which he scored 19 points but of course did fall out at the end of the game as is his want and then they beat utah at home and lost at portland in a pretty competitive game which i'm sure highlighted the stark contrast to when they lost at home to portland uh, by 48 points in the first game of the season they've looked better defensively in these last few games why has that been the case
2: they've been doing a better job of forcing teams to shoot from the mid-range which is a a, something we talk about a lot but there's a very big reason for it those are generally speaking the worst shot in basketball and something that you've noticed more than I have mostly because I think you've watched the Suns more in the last th- the last three games than I have is that their ball pressure has been better
0: yeah with Mike James Tyler Ulis. I mean it was all just in contrast to Bledsoe who just was not trying at all defensively at this point and I think they've just done a better job of executing on the scouting report as well I had thought that playing Jackson and Warren together was probably their best look. Jackson in particular, what we've seen from him is interesting, right? Like That shot is ugly, just from a visual standpoint. He certainly is not hesitant about taking it, even necessarily when he's not wide open. But he's shooting a totally respectable percentage from three, 37%. What's really holding him back right now has been his two-point shooting. He's under 40% on twos, and... He's not been able to finish at the rim. That's something that was a problem for him. I think he does not get great extension, had small hands. That's something we talked about in the draft process and then likes to take a lot of floaters as well hasn't been hitting those at a fantastic rate but at least the three ball is working okay and we'll see whether he's able to incorporate a little bit more playmaking it's tough because they just don't have a ton of shooting so far on this team and then the two guys that they're really relying on bender and chris chris had that one good game but overall he's been bad and then bender another one of these guys where like the shot looks great for him but it just doesn't go in the basket and He's turning it over on 34% of his possessions. I've always talked about how they should try and get him the ball a little bit more, let him work through the elbows. But if he's going to turn it over that often, that becomes a less viable strategy. And really, Bender does absolutely nothing from two-point range. But again, he's not really in a, being put in a position where he can use it as smart. It's just space out around entrepreneur. The They've been trying him at center, at the, at the four, at the three, really have not been able to find. He's a guy who has some unique skills, potentially. I mean, in theory, he does. He hasn't been able to make good even on what he supposedly does well yet. But this is not a team that really has done the greatest job of using him and that's about it well, so far so, for their young guys two anything things else you want one to say about
2: them? bender might end up being a great second draft guy just the team puts him in a better situation and yeah we've, we've seen that a few times from the suns and a few times from the kings and then the other thing is the reporting that came out from mark stein that the suns are exploring and that doesn't mean they're requiring or anything like that exploring including T- tyson chandler in the deal and the reason why i think that's a bad thing all other things equal and you never know about that is because because you can think about the different assets that you can get back and so it's you know young players draft picks and offloading bad salary and generally speaking if a contract is considered a negative if it fails the asset test the an a test then that reduces the package that you're getting back you know maybe a team screws up and they give you too much anyway but if they're going to sacrifice some of the other asset return to unload contracts that's problematic because especially with tyson chandler who expires at the same time as basically everybody else in their team now if they wanted to try to move. Of Brandon Knight or something like that, it gets a little bit different. But Tyson Chandler, I mean, that's it's just kind of in line with everything else.
0: Yeah, and maybe the thinking is, hey, you know what, like he's really falling off quite a bit. He has not looked good defensively so far He's his, his age 35 season. And so maybe we need to move him before he gets even more toxic. But I don't really see the point to that, right? Like he's got two more years on his contract, including this one, but are they really going to get into the 2018 free agent market? Is that better than just trying to get more draft pick assets? Now it is worth noting that they have those two Miami picks in the future. And I think also they've tried to play this draft pick asset game already and it hasn't really paid off for them yet Uh, they had a bunch of picks in last year's draft they traded them to consolidate into Chris he and Bender haven't really delivered and so maybe the thought is hey we've got all these young guys already but I mean if it's me I just want to keep taking hitting the lottery or trying it on young guys because you know even Devin Booker is you know maybe a second or third banana to me maybe he gets beyond that but when you consider his defense they definitely need someone in the hierarchy above him Jackson, eh, you know, I mean, he's okay. We'll see that. I know they have high hopes for him, but I don't think anyone is like, oh, this guy's a surefire superstar right now. And then Chris and Bender have not really worked out either. So they can say, oh, we have enough young guys. Now we need veterans. No, I think you need to keep taking bites at the apple until you get the young guy that really is going to be foundational player but after not having made the playoffs since 2010 the patience there might be a little low and then the other thing about it too that's so weird to me is this idea that all right you know we're not going to really try to get anyone in free agency this year and now we're going to trade Bledsoe but we're going to trade him again in what's basically short-term thinking right because again Chandler comes off the, the books in 2019 so if you're going for 2018 that means you're trying to get better faster I mean there's no one on the free agent market in 2018 who's going to come there? i mean maybe maybe it's like demarcus maybe that's like a guy that they could target potentially if they just give him the full max like that's maybe that's the guy that they would be looking at
2: maybe but i mean there's a chance that dallas is going to be offering the same thing and dallas is a way better situation but maybe they're not
0: (laughs) well it's a way better organization and owner i think that's and coach
2: well and i think their town i think their town is better i'd rather play with dennis smith you know like where the and dallas is going to probably have another good draft pick i mean I, i talked about that in their section about how I yeah. think they could benefit from being a little worse this year but, if they can actually get somebody to sign there. Well,
0: as much as we like Smith, Booker is, at this point, the far superior your young player.
2: Well, yeah, he's a superior player, but in terms of what Cousins wants, I mean, the, the, those guys compete for touches more than probably than Smith and Boogie will. You know, it's more simpatico. But let's move on to Portland. Portland four and two two of those wins being against the suns one of them being a the just the game that is ruining a lot of things around the league especially that being portland being number one in net rating at a plus 15 number three offense number four defense and as i noted uh samus fondiari was talking about their defense and i'm like yeah it is true but they were th- they're they 15th in defense after that suns game so because that was the first game of the year so you can actually look at it relatively equally so well, let's, even let's so they're still having a good time on them.
0: uh we- baldwin who they signed on a two-way immediately had to have surgery on his thumb and uh he'll be out six weeks myers leonard suffered a pretty bad sprain to his ankle he won't need surgery but he's going to be out uh, for a month and then the good news for them though is that Noah Vonley should be returning soon he may debut as soon as Monday against the Raptors with that strained right shoulder that kept him out basically for all of camp uh, until now uh, so they'll still have be able to play plenty of these two big together lineups uh, that Stotts has been going for um where they're really though those two big lineups have been paying off is that they've just been killing people on the offensive glass
2: Number number one by far an offensive rebound is thirty-five percent offensive rebound rate, which is appallingly good. And also on top of that, they've been getting to the line a lot. They're third in free throw attempt rate and they're fourth in turnover rate. So they're they're doing a really nice job in those key key areas. And a lot of that is giving the ball to big men. I mean, big men turn depending on you know if it's those guys, they turn the ball over less and generally they get to the line more.
0: That offensive rebounding is not at all Yusuf Nurkic. He is only seven percent offensive rebounds, and they have some different identities with this team where they've been playing Harkless and Aminu together in my preferred starting lineup with Nurkic. Nurkic has not been good offensively. Only 47% true shooting has been solid on, on the defensive glass. But then when they go with Ed Davis, this is one of the most insane offensive rebound percentages I've ever seen, even over like a five-game sample. He is offensive rebounded 26% of Blazers misses over the first... <laughs> Six games of the season. And then uh, Caleb Swanigan, who hasn't done much else, but he's gotten on the offensive glass. Myers Leonard even has gotten on the offensive glass. Also, this is another interesting size. He's only played 15 minutes uh, so far, but Zach Collins has a negative 15.4 PR right now. <laughs> and uh, that is due to, he's only just been 0-5 from the field, uh, but basically it's done nothing other than get two offensive rebounds and assists, and he's got five fouls in 15 minutes It has not scored yet on the season. So interesting that Swanigan has been a- ahead of him a-, a little bit, but you have to imagine that all of those guys are going to get leapfrogged by Vonleh.
2: i would hope so i mean maybe not davis i mean obviously because davis has been playing well and that brings its own challenges and we lamented that they basically you know the way that they used their assets this offseason they really weren't prepared for alan crab to leave because he was their third third mm-hmm. highest you know minutes guy last year and pat conaton is 12 of 22 on above the break threes, 50% overall from three, and I do not remotely expect it to continue, but
0: kudos. Well, he was supposed to be a good shooter in college, which is, and he's also done well on his few two-point attempts, 57% on twos. And it was a little mystifying that that was supposed to be like his one skill. And he's a great locker room guy. He's going to be 25 this season, so not a ton of upside to explore. We felt like, hey, this guy's not even an NBA player. They he had so little leverage that he actually agreed to move his guarantee date back until the end of August. You thought for sure with them relatively close to the tax that he was just going to get cut, and then he didn't. And good for him to, to be playing well. He certainly, even in summer league, did not look great. So the larger sample would say that he is not going to continue shooting like this but he at least has the college pedigree there um you mentioned here they have 44 percent shooting at the rim and while that is obviously bad with Yusuf Nurkic on the floor I mean he's not taking a ton of shots outside of the paint he is getting to the foul line but he's always struggled to finish around the rim that was an aberration uh and he's only shooting 50 percent at the rim himself other offenders CJ McCollum really has been way off at the rim as well only 42% at the rim. I think a lot of that is due to missing the spacing that they've had, playing with two bigs a fair amount of the time. He hasn't had quite the greatest start to the season yet. Um, They also are getting, you know, like 46% three-point shooting from Aminu. Uh, Oh, and uh, Mo Harkless alert. You know, he's got that bonus in his contract for 35% three-point shooting. He's at 34%, so I really hope that he gets like right over 35% again in the last month of the season that just doesn't bother shooting it
2: just never shoots again yeah that be would great. be great i, I really that was that a happens. highlight last year and we were there for those games because it was it timed up with the hoop summit towards yeah. the end of that year where he was
0: just not taking threes no I, I think draymond was actually like talking shit to him in that first round series about <laughs> about that fact I, I don't quote me on that i'm not sure about that that's actually true but i, I thought i remembered hearing that somewhere um all
2: right, I've, n- yeah. I've never heard draymond ever do anything of that sort so that would be a big surprise to me let's get to san
0: antonio they were four and zero. now have dropped to four and two after losses to you know the two best teams in the east indiana and orlando don't worry indiana and orlando fans we are those are the two most intriguing teams in the league to me i have not had a chance to watch them because of this move i feel like that lieutenant in the wire right now where like remember like in season four where like lester freeman is like that guy is the most effective commander we've ever had in this unit. And he's just like, all he's doing is just like talking about renovating his house and his boat and stuff. Like that's where I am right now. Like moving into this new house, I feel like completely neglecting work, but I will get back to it this week. I promise once we get the the TV set up and you Indiana and Orlando fans will in fact uh, be getting the attention that those two teams performances really deserve. Uh, But back to San Antonio, 15th ranked offense, 20th ranked defense uh, after 15th, facing those two incredible juggernauts oh, i'm sorry no that is wrong they're the 20th ranked offense 10th ranked defense 15th overall in net rating
2: And a lot of what they've been holding their hat on, I mean, they've been doing obviously all this without Kawhi Leonard, is that they've been using the big man stuff. They've been the league's best defensive rebounding team by a lot. Going into today's games, they were only allowing a 17.6% offensive rebound rate. That's actually, that's almost exactly half of what we just talked about with with, uh, Portland. And the next best is 22%, the aforementioned Blazers. They're also third in offensive rebounding, and they are the the highest post-up frequency in the entire league league they're attempting 13 post-ups a game which is almost three times as many per game as the bulls have i'm sorry as the hawks have tried this whole year so one of my favorite stats as we were digging out stuff is that the bulls have only are the hawks have only tried five post-ups this whole season and they've been effective on those uh 0.98 points per possession is high but that also is a reminder that it's not the greatest source of offense in the world but they've been able to use all of those factors to have a reliable defense they've been getting back on it and to to be pretty good on offense
0: yeah I think to to be where they were offensively and then they struggled in that Orlando game at, to get down to, to being 20th but you would expect them to struggle without Kawhi Leonard. I think one of the biggest things so far this season is that LaMarcus is playing at a superstar level and he's another one of these guys that when you kind of zig as the rest of the league zags to going smaller especially in the regular season when they he's protected by the Spurs system There are just fewer guys in the NBA who can guard him than there were five years ago. And so he's been extremely effective, although some of that performance is going to regress a little bit because he's shot very well on short mid-rangers. But he's also getting to the foul line at a better rate than he had. And they're running a lot of the offense through him. And one of the things that's underrated about him is he never, ever turns the ball over. He's very solid there. You mentioned their offensive rebounding. This Spurs team is legendary for how well they get back on defense and avoiding transition. And so they're not really close to the top of the league in that. You're seeing the trade off, And and part of why they have to go to the offensive glass more is because they need it to score, right? They don't have the individual creators. And perhaps that's why Greg Popovich, you know, they have this 29% offensive rebound rate, which is third in the league. Generally, they're not... Up at the top there, but they have the personnel to do that. Maybe they're just saying, hey, we're gonna go to the offensive glass, and if we give up a little bit more in transition, that's fine. They're a better defensive team still, probably than they are an offensive team. Uh and they still avoid Absolutely. Yeah, and-, and that defense, it's all about not fouling. It's cleaning up the offensive glass. You know, they don't force a ton of turnovers, they're not even necessarily forcing a, a ton of misses.
2: And while you said that they aren't as dominant as they were in kind of the stopping the other teams in transition, they're still better than most. So their their transition frequency, opponent transition frequency is 11th best. So that's pretty good. It's not amazing like they usually are, it, but the points per possession is on the high side, 1.18. Again, we're in small sample size theater with that. So that might be something worth watching though, just, just because their transition defenders other than Danny Green are you know worse without Kawhi on the floor, obviously. So I want to keep an eye on where they go and kind of, where where this i mean we don't know still how long Kawhi is going to be out you know it's the whole weeks not months and that sort of thing but you know they have they have a tough stretch coming up they play boston golden state the clippers the bucks all those teams in the next week and a half and so can they sustain the level that they were at the beginning because it's not like they were beating scrubs early on they beat they beat minnesota in a nice game they beat toronto and so it's like where are they going to go from here what are they really over like overall without Kawhi.
0: DeJounte Murray has gotten a a lot of pub, but another one of those guys where he looks good, he makes these plays. He's been effective defensively, but... I think this idea that oh my god Dejounte Murray this is the next Spurs find like they've got a solution at point guard like with Parker aging slow down a little bit here 47% true shooting for him he is fourth on the team in minutes but he basically never shoots it outside of the lane and your career can only have so high of a ceiling if you're at that point now the Spurs have had a lot of success teaching guys how to shoot but you know he hasn't made a three-pointer yet this year and he's not comfortable taking them and it's just a special Especially if you're going to have all these bigs in the roster now he is a great finisher he's shooting 73 at the rim and he takes 40 of his shots right at the basket uh so he has a lot of talent and he might get there with the jumper but this idea that like oh man this is like tony parker in his second year he's like he's ready to go you know no he's not going to be a guy who's going to be able to give you more than a spot role really when it comes to playing against the best teams but uh rudy gay on the other hand is shooting 58 from the field so that's pretty good
2: yeah well i ready to do the last team or do we want to keep this going for another couple hours
0: <laughs> well why don't we uh, Utah well, jazz, uh, sh- sh- should we pause to do a few commercials for a pitching change and then uh I-, I guess we're gonna come in comfortably under the baseball game still thankfully
2: just a little bit so the utah jazz they're three and three slightly below water in terms of net rating negative 0.5 which puts them 16th in the league their offense has been bad something that i anticipated before the season 26th but they're sixth in defense and the, the biggest thing for me that has been striking has been how well they played and how well they defended when Rudy Gobert has been off the floor. So it was even stronger before the Laker game, which they did win, but it wasn't as dominant as some of the other games. They have a plus 21 net rating with Gobert off the floor and they have a 90 defensive rating. Ekpe Udo has been very good. You know, there was that stuff about well, he's one of the best defenders in the league. I'm saying that before, but he's been wonderful so far. And Utah, I, I don't necessarily. Think it's zigging while everybody else is zagging, but they have had some real success with two big lineups.
0: Yeah, they have, but a lot of that has just been defensively. I think where you would hope that they could be better, and Quinton Snyder comes from that Spurs system. But with your playing Gobert and Favors together, you should be able to be better than 24th in offensive rebounding, only 20%. And then they're only 20th in defensive rebounding. Now they do play some lineups with Joe Johnson at the four. That's gonna hurt your rebounding. But as much as they've played two bigs together they really that's a place where they I think can make some improvements but it seems like their philosophy is just not to do that because Gobert is a solid offensive rebounder but it doesn't seem like the rest of the guys have been doing that much and even Gobert has been strangely ineffective on the offensive glass the only guy with double digit offensive rebound rate on this team is Epe Udo. and Derek Favors used to be a solid offensive rebounder is only five percent so it seems like he's just being asked to get back on defense and then Favors has not really been rebounding hardly at all uh, either way, and while he has looked more spry so far this year, he still—it would be a disservice to the player that he was to say that he's back at that level yet. You know, I mean, he, he's been okay, but not at like that near All Star level that he was. The other interesting thing about these guys is they're actually shooting the ball pretty darn well. Now, some of that may be unsustainable. Like Joe Ingles shoots it well on threes, but he's really has been killing it personally. But overall as a team, they're not shooting great on threes, 34%. They are shooting extremely well from mid-range at 44%. They don't have that many great mid-range players on this team. Really, Joe Johnson is the only one you think of in that realm, maybe favors a little bit. Uh, And then they shoot it pretty well at the rim. So I think a lot of it is their mid-range shooting as to why they've been so effective. But then what's really been killing them is, you know, the lack of offensive rebounding, we said. And then they're just kicking the ball all over the gym, every single possession, 30th in turnover rate so far this season. So actually not every single possession technically it's uh
2: no only 18.7 percent of all their possessions yeah, yeah that's right and, and and this is where
0: where are they in terms of their well wait actually for... let's oh yeah go ahead we, yeah. Wait,
2: let's put the let's put this in perspective the warriors have turned the ball over 16 times or more in every single one of their games and they're at about a 15.2 percent turnover rate i don't know i'm using espn's for right now and utah is higher than that but that's partially because they play so many they play fewer possessions in right. each game
0: yeah and uh... I don't really care for that as much in terms of transition frequency. The talk was that with Rubio they were going to play faster, and they're like right about mid pack uh, in in terms of transition frequency which is a lot better than they used to be and also because their defense is so good that'll slow down the pace so if you just look at the straight pace numbers that's one of the nice things about Ben Falk's side is you can really boil it down to a team's own transition performance rather than just hey here's the overall pace they play at like a lot of times you'll see for example bad defensive teams it looks like they play at a faster pace because they're just letting the other teams score so quickly whereas their own offense you know that's been the case somewhat I think for Phoenix they've still have run these last couple of years but but like they get scored on so quickly that it almost inflates their pace even more. There are a lot of teams like that.
2: Brooklyn's so doing that's that this part year. Of
0: why? Yeah, I mean, that's part of why, you know, I think for a while pace of play just overall in terms of the games that you're involved in for a time in the league, like correlated slightly negatively with winning is just because pace also matters on defense. Uh, it's really more instructive to just look at your offensive pace. But for Utah, when they do not get a transition bucket they really just pass the ball around like crazy and given some of the lack of shooting that they have in this team with Rubio and Gobert and favors all out there in the starting lineup you're passing it around a ton and going until the end of the possession and there's not that much space and that's going to lead to a lot of turnovers it, the less space there is on the floor the easier it is to get a pass intercepted or get your dribble stolen
2: one other thing that we can talk about is Donovan Mitchell's play has been inconsistent just partially also just in terms of the role but he did have a real coming out party against the lakers including a just a, a nasty tip dunk that you don't really see from guys his height, partially because he has springs and a nice wingspan yeah, I, i've that, been in that tip impre- dunk
0: by the way not only was it like he got so high above the rim but he was like so far away from the basket when he caught it too and you mentioned the yeah. wingspan like that was pretty ridiculous but uh yeah what else are you gonna say about
2: him but so Mitchell he came off the bench ended up with a a really nice overall line 22 points on 16 shots only had one free throw which you'd like to see a little bit more turned it over five times but just an overall type of game from him but what's been what's been hard and I mean some of this is just the circumstances and that he's a rookie is that he has three games where he scored in double digits 22 then he had a nice 19 point game against the Clippers and then he had 10 on opening night and then he has three games where he scored exactly two points all three of which he shot one of seven from the field so it's going to be some of that, you know, he's a young guy, but I, I wonder exactly what his role is going to be on a successful team moving forward. But as we said in Summer League, there's a lot to like to, because you think he'll figure at least some of this out
0: well four point eight p r forty percent true shooting for Mitchell, so I mean if people yeah oh, exactly man, he had this one game, he had these highlights I mean that's part of the problem in evaluation of, of young players too is like oh, you hear when they have a great game just sort of in the national consciousness and the Twitter sphere, and if they have a bad game, no one's gonna no one's tweeting out Donovan Mitchell was one for seven tonight. You know, the three games that he does that, they're tweeting out the one. And so you just sort of assume like, oh, hey, you know, he had this one game and then he's kind of playing average the rest of the game. So he's, he's been above average, but it's you know, not really been the case. The biggest thing yeah. that strikes me for him, 29% usage by far leading this team in usage. And I think if you're shooting that poorly from the field and some of that mix for him really struggling at the rim 43% at the rim or I'm sorry no even worse than that 38% at the rim 43% on floaters which is not bad and then uh from three only 17% so maybe he just needs to like chill out a little bit and take better shots some of the units that he's playing on They need some shot creation. But if you're shooting it that poorly, anyone else creating a shot is probably going to be a little bit better uh, than you are. Uh, So, uh, And then I think we're seeing a theme here is that some of their support players still are able to be efficient, right? Like Rudy Gobert, when he gets a chance, uh, Favors is playing off of others. Joe Ingles is playing off of others. But they really, uh, even Tabo Cephalosha has shot it well. But the guys who are really being counted on to create for this team as Rodney Hood has missed time, he was supposed to be that guy. Um, and he's been efficient so far, but, uh, doesn't do anything else other than score, but like Johnson, Burks, Mitchell, like those guys haven't been able to be as efficient because the shots that they're taking are all pretty tough shots. Uh, but when other guys are able to be set up and everything goes smoothly, then they are able to finish plays efficiently.
2: I think we're done here. Ah.
0: <sighs> all right. That was, uh, our first one of the, the season here. Fun to get that one in the books. Hopefully we'll be back. Uh, get a chance to do some gamers throughout the course of the week might post a little bit later because i'll have to go back and watch online because i have internet no no direct tv until thursday took them a little while to to get things set up uh but don't forget about our sponsors today lyft lyft.com slash capspace will get you a 500 new driver bonus if you want to work for a great ride sharing company And then helix HelixSleep.com slash Capspace, that will get you $50 off your custom mattress. Talk to you all tomorrow night. Till then. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem.
2: Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.